And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. You see, God had this messy plan, a plan to save the world. And to do that, he was going to have to send his son. And where does the God of the universe send his son? Where does the king of kings come? To a barn, a stable, a manger, of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this was no ordinary king. And when I say it was messy, I mean it was messy. It was a stable. That means you've got animals and animal stuff. A pitiful place for people to be born, much less the king of kings. Why would God do that? Well, I can't tell you for sure because as the prophet Isaiah says, his thoughts are not like our thoughts and his ways are not like our ways. But that very same prophet 400 years before said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way, and that the Lord has laid our iniquities on him. You see, Jesus didn't just come to a messy place, this barn He came to a messy world. Why? Because the shepherd was coming to take care of his sheep and to prepare a way for his sheep to come home. That's what a shepherd does. He lives where they live, sleeps where they sleep, and he eats where they eat. And that got Jesus in trouble. But he did it anyway. Because that's what a shepherd does. And while they were there... An angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. A sign? Did you ever wonder what that sign was? I mean, a sign for what? Maybe it was a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. Maybe it's a sign that the God who owns cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person. Jesus never had a home. Jesus never even had a place to rest his head. Maybe it's a sign that God would have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. A sign that we should follow suit. The Apostle Paul would later write that we should have the same attitude of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming a servant. Being a servant is messy. But Jesus set this incredible example for us. I mean, he got down on his knees and he washed feet. Almighty God, the Messiah, got on his knees. That very first Christmas, God, the King of Kings, came to the world, not in a palace, but in a manger, a feed trough. It was dirty, it was grimy, it was messy. But thank God it was, because without it, what a mess we'd be in. You just bow your heads with me as we pray for a moment. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have this morning to look into your word. 
God, as we spend the next few moments looking at the why, the approach, the, the reason that you decided to come, I pray that our hearts would be open to your spirit and what you have to say to us. Father, I pray that it would be your word that is heard, not mine. And God, in a room this size, there's a lot of different thoughts. There's a lot of different life that's happened this last week. We're easily distracted. It's easy for us to justify why whatever the truth is doesn't apply to us. But in the next few moments, God, would you, would you help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you? We pray that your word would speak and ring true in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. Last week, if you were with us, Pastor Mike talked about an unexpected arrival. And this week, I want to talk about an unexpected approach of a king, of a Messiah. I want to talk to you about how everything that God does often does not make sense to us. I mean, as Mike shared with us, Pastor Mike shared with us last week, an unexpected arrival of a king, of a Messiah, of a Savior, that a nation, a country, a people were waiting for. They were waiting for a Savior, a political redeemer, someone who would make it right, someone who would put them in the power seat, someone who would overthrow those who would oppress them. How disappointing a baby showed up, right? And not just a baby showed up, but a baby showed up in a town that didn't matter with a group of people who couldn't do anything. And he shows up in a place where nothing, well, as some say, nothing good ever came out of. (laughs) And then it's not just that he's a little baby. I mean, if he's God, he could be a little baby and do miraculous things that would, would pull people's attention to him, right? I mean, that's what he could do. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't just come as a baby. He does nothing for 30 years. The Messiah, the Savior, shows up on the scene. God, the Creator, shows up on the scene. He's the one who's going to redeem the people and make everything right. And he comes as a baby, and for 30 years, nothing happens. This is crazy. And then, this is all, by the way, in the Gospels. You can read it. I'm not making it up. You go back, read the Gospels for yourself. You'll see every bit of this is in there. And then, 30 years. He has this strange dude who dresses in camel hair. He eats wild locusts. You'd run the other way. I would. And he dips the locusts in honey. Chocolate, maybe. But honey. 
and he wanders around, not in the public square, in the desert. And he says, the Messiah is coming, repent. Look at it, it's, it's in there. I'm not making this up. This is what he did. The guy's name was John, by the way. John the Baptist. And he wandered around in a desert and he screamed that the Messiah was coming and he did strange stuff and he ate strange stuff and he wore strange clothes and he really didn't seem to have much of a home. He just wandered around and told everybody there's a Messiah coming. And then, what he does next doesn't make any more sense either. Instead of going and collecting the most influential people of the day, instead of going to the most powerful, those who had the most say, those who had the sway in government, he goes to the fishermen out on the lake. He walks up to the fishermen and he tells, hey, follow me. They smell. These guys stink. They work with fish all the time. You've been around fish? Hey, come with me. And of course, they're fishermen. I mean, they just drop their stuff and walk away. That's what it says. And then he walks by these guys who everybody hates. The guy's sitting in a booth, and his booth is there to collect taxes. And as people go by, he knows what they owe, and he takes their tax money, and usually they take a little for themselves. And scripture tells us this, that when Jesus was walking by one of these guys, he says, hey, come follow me. Be one of my disciples. Really? The tax guy? A disciple? He's going to make a difference? His choice of leaders is a little suspect. Even the tax guys smell, right? Think of it from a financial point of view. You're like, really? And then when he starts spending time with people, he spends time with children. He spends time with people who are seen and not heard, right? I mean, that was the culture. They're they're there, but we don't want to hear from them. We don't don't want to know much from them. That, that, That was the day. He spends time with questionable people, people who are of questionable reputation. They're they're on the fringes of society. And then in that day and age, he, he spends time with women. Now, I know in our society, we're a lot removed from that one, but in that day, women didn't have rights. Women didn't vote. Women weren't seen the same way as they are today. And Jesus talks to them. He spends time with them. He has dialogues with them. He asks them to do things. That's not right in his day and age. That doesn't fit. You didn't even stop and have a conversation with a woman if you were a man. He goes to the sick. He goes to the poor. And the people that follow him don't seem to really have a lot of common sense because think about this for a minute. They follow him up into the mountains. It's a day's journey. They didn't bring lunches. Who goes on a day's journey without food? I don't. 
Do you? You're thinking about where you're stopping to eat. Come on. When you get in your car, if it's over a meal, you go, hey, we're driving by Texas Roadhouse. Or we're by, you've got it all mapped out. And if you know it's not a place you like, you got a sandwich in your back pocket. I know you. These people left to follow Jesus a day's journey. 5,000 of them, men plus women and children, they didn't bring food. These people aren't all there. He doesn't go to the rich and the powerful. Instead, every time he's around the rich and the powerful, it seems in the gospel that he offends them. It seems that he's trying to drive them away. He doesn't come to the middle class because there wasn't one. This isn't how you start a movement. I mean, you guys know that, right? I mean, just what I've explained. You don't even have to read it. This is not how you start a movement or a, a revolution. This isn't how you change things by going to this group of people. And really, I mean... In our mind, if, if God knew anything about marketing at all, he would have had Jesus come today. I mean, TV, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I mean, think about, think about the marketing God could have done today if Jesus would have showed up today. How easy it would have been to say, look, the King of Kings is here. Picture, Snapchat, whatever you want to do. It's there. Yet, when you stop and think about it, when you think about your own heart, when you think about your own life, you know that God knew just exactly what the people that he created needed. He knew that we needed someone who was completely perfect. Someone who would be willing to do the unthinkable. A king. Become an unknown baby. The creator. Become the created. The one who is all-powerful become the sacrifice. That'll get my attention. And that'll get yours. And God knew it. God knew the strings of our heart because he created them. And even today, God knows what your heart needs. Christmas as presented by Christ is all about sacrifice. It's not about the wow. It's not about the shouts. It's not about the screams. It's not about the excitement. It's about the sacrifice of one who loves so deeply 
so intensely that he will do whatever it takes to redeem a relationship. Whatever it takes. You see, God has been all about relationships from the very beginning. If you go all the way back to creation and man and God creating man, we forget that when God created us, he created us for the joy of a relationship with us. He created us for the pure joy of allowing us to live in community with God himself. And that is what brought a smile to his face at creation, was looking ahead and saying, look, these ones that I've created in my own image, I get to live life with. I get to share their experiences. I get to show them what joy is, what meaning is, what life is. And we, the created, the ones who were created in his image for his pleasure, for his joy, we're the ones who messed it up. We're the ones who looked at God and said, what you created isn't good enough for me. I want more. We're the ones who looked at God and said, your plan, the creator, (laughs) I got a better one. Let me do it my way. But God still knows that he created us for a relationship with him. His whole purpose in sending Jesus was still and is still to this day to restore our relationship with our creator, God. Mark chapter 2, I want to read a couple of verses. I want to show you how God, through Jesus Christ, went about doing this. Mark chapter 2, I'm going to read... Starting at verse 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and the whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a toll booth. This is the tax dude. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who were following him. That's sinners, by the way, that were following him. And when the scribes and the, who, were, who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Isn't it interesting? He puts those two words together there. The Pharisees, I don't think he turned his head when he's talking about these guys sitting there. Why is he eating with those sinners over there? And when Jesus heard this, So everybody heard what was being said. He told them. It is not those who are well who need a doctor. But who? Those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. But who? Sinners. He purposely went to the people who weren't fit. He purposely went to the people who were not accepted. They were on the fringes. He stepped into the middle of their mess. That's where Jesus is. And when the religious elite, those who think they'd made it, showed up, they looked down at the people Jesus was with, and he said, why in the world would you allow them to rub off on you? And Jesus looks at him and says, why wouldn't I? 
If I'm the one who, who makes lives right, relationships right, if I'm the one who can heal the sick, then where do I belong? I belong right in the middle of them, right in the middle of those who hurt. And I'm so glad that Jesus did that because guess what? I am one of those people. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am one of those people who needed Jesus Christ to come into my life, to step into my mess, and to save me. Guess what? You are too. It doesn't matter how you look on the outside. It doesn't matter how you look in terms of what you think your life looks like. Every one of us internally, without God, we're a mess. We are those sinners that this passage is talking about. We're the ones that everybody else points their finger at. Oh, we don't think so, but we are. And Jesus came for us, the sinners, the messed up ones. And he was willing to step into the middle of that mess because he knew what could make the mess right. His perfect life being sacrificed on our behalf to restore a relationship that's completely broken. He knew that these people were sick. He knew that they needed a doctor to make them well. And by the way, He was honest about the problem. He didn't gloss over it. He looked at them and told them what the problem was. Truth with love. You need to get well. You've got a sin problem. A doctor can only treat sick people if he's with them. Did you know that? You can't do it from a distance. Jesus Christ the perfect one, spent time with those who knew they weren't perfect and he let other people see him there. (laughs) Did you catch that? He didn't hide when the religious leaders came. He let them see him with sick people, with sinners, with those who were struggling. What an unexpected approach. That's not the way you do this. That doesn't work out. And yet it did. And yet it still does today. But folks, if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I knew that about myself. I knew that I was one of those people who was a sinner. I knew that I needed a Savior. I knew that I couldn't do anything to redeem myself, to make my life right. I knew that. And because of it, I accepted what Christ did on the cross. I'm in. I get it. I was the one who needed a doctor, and the doctor has showed up. Jesus showed up in my life. Woohoo! I'm in. Hey, let your face know. Come on. If you're in, I'm in. Well, for those of us who are in, here's the kicker. Here's the struggle. He asked those of us who follow him and claim to be his disciples to do the same thing that he did. John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 15, 10, he puts it this way. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. John 14, 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
Here's Jesus' word. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Here's Jesus' word. Whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. Love those who despise you and despitefully use you. Here's true religion. Look after the orphans and the widows and care for them. When someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. If they ask for your coat, give them your cloak as well. If somebody's hungry and has need, give them food to eat and something to drink. And Jesus looks at us and he says, look, if you found the doctor, if you said yes to the doctor, if you understand your need for healing and he has has forgiven your sin and you have life with Jesus Christ, now go do the same. So here's the struggle with being a Christ follower in any period of time, ours included. It's so counterculture. Tim, what do you mean? Well, think of this. In that day and age, you didn't recognize women, children, slaves, the sick, the Gentile people. They weren't real people. You didn't spend time with them. And Jesus looked at them and said, these people are our equals. These people are the same as us. These people belong. They have rights. They belong to a, in a relationship with, with me, with Jesus Christ. They belong. That was in, in Jesus' day. He broke down the barriers. He changed the way that people looked at, at other people. Today, today, I'm the most important. What I want goes. My outlook on life is what matters. My lifestyle is what matters. My feelings are what matters. I am independent and yet I am entitled to whatever it is that I want. And Jesus says, go be a servant. That's counterculture, people. That's not what we're taught on a regular basis. That's not what you're hearing on TV. That's not what you're seeing on social media. Jesus says, those who love me, those who understand who I am, those who have a relationship with my Father... They're the greatest servants of all. They're the first ones to bow a knee. They're the first ones to reach a helping hand. They love first and ask questions later. Jesus says others first. You want to become great? Then become a servant to all. Jesus' approach was sacrifice. The one who was and is great became a sacrifice, and he is asking us as his disciples and corporately as his church to do the same, sacrifice. Sacrifice is doing for others at a cost to myself without an expectation of repayment. A true sacrifice is doing something for someone, knowing that they have nothing and they have no way to repay. That's what Jesus did. We're all bankrupt Every one of us have absolutely nothing that we can give to God to pay for our own lives. We can't do it. And yet his sacrifice was a payment, complete and full, on my behalf, expecting nothing in return. He did it before I loved him. Sacrifice is messy. It's often misunderstood. It usually doesn't seem to make much sense. 
Sacrifice has a cost. It's not pretty and often not all that fun. But the result of sacrifice, even when we don't see it, pays huge dividends. Think of your own life. Think of my life. Because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, I now have the right to be called a son of God. Dividends? <laughs> Huge. Family inheritance? It's the world, guys. It's the universe. It's all that God made. It's mine. Because I'm a child of God. In the middle of my brokenness, in the middle of my messed up life, Jesus Christ reaches out and he says, Here, Tim, here's life. Have it. And in turn, take your brokenness. Take your messed up life. Make a sacrifice for someone else. Serve someone else. Make a difference because I made a difference for you. What an unexpected approach. Totally different than what our world would say would work. How willing are you to sacrifice like Christ for others? Christmas as presented by Christ, is about sacrifice. Crazy approach to saving the world. But it works. It works. He saved me. He saved some of you in this room. And if you're sitting here without a relationship with God, his sacrifice will save you too if you're willing to say yes to the gift of his son. God, help us to understand the deep love that you have for us. Help us to say yes to you in your name. Father, grant us the courage. If we don't have a relationship with you, to come to you and ask. You said all who, who would come that you would forgive. You would give them a home that you'd make them right. So grant folks the courage to do that this morning, to admit that they need a Savior and to ask for forgiveness of sin and to allow your spirit to save them. And then for those of us who are Christ followers, grant us the courage to sacrifice to give away the love of Jesus Christ in a way that's real so that others may know. Help us this week to show Jesus Christ to those who we're in contact with. In your name we pray, amen.